Okay, uh, good morning guys, and welcome back to any quest to students. Anybody? Yeah? Did Brian already do this? I don't know, but yeah? A couple, whoa, a couple people back for Questa? Maybe one, two, is that it? Really? Maybe they all come to 1030. Um, like Brian said, my name's Nick, and I'll, I'm going to try to get situated. That should work. Um, I'm the college pastor here. And I got a lot for us this morning. We've been in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be in the Sermon on the Mount today. Um, and I'm really excited about this section of Scripture that I get to teach uh, to you guys today. And I really, when I was thinking about it, had like a little intro, wanted to kind of explain a little bit of my heart, who I am, and all that sort of thing. But the reality is, is as I'm looking at the clock and as I look at my notes and how much I want to cover um, I'm hoping that you guys will be cool if we just read the text, pray, and get into it. So, if you guys wouldn't mind turning to Matthew 6, verse 19 is where we're going to begin, and verse 24 is where we'll stop. So, Matthew 6, 19 through 24, I'll give you a moment to get there, we'll read it, we'll pray, and then we will uh, get in. So, I really appreciate you guys... Um, being here this morning and allowing me to unfold the scriptures for you guys. Read with me verse 19 of Matthew 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Would you guys pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that even as we read those words, people in this room would just be waking up. They'd be shaken by what you have to say how radically confronting this is that we can't have our treasure here and our treasure there with you we have to make a decision we can't serve the things of this world and serve you we have to make a decision we can't be looking to the things of this world and looking also to you we have to make a decision and so Jesus I'm praying for an incredible awakening for those of us that are here in this room this morning, a part of this little church, this little part of your body. I know that these truths, God, are so life-giving if we would receive them. And so, God, please, would you help me to teach would you help me to speak in such a way that life is found by all in this room and glory is given to your name. Uh, we give thanks to you, Jesus, 
that we're able to gather. These are special moments for me and for these people. We thank you for your word and we pray, God, come and apply it to us here this morning. In your name, amen. Okay, um, as I was thinking about this and looking at what Jesus has to say in this text, I was coming to the realization that some in this room probably coming on a Sunday morning, especially having to some degree my finger on the pulse of what American Christianity looks like and what's being taught by and large by our culture and by the, you know, the mass media, Christian television, the kind of things that we grow up on, in essence, I have this feeling that some will come in and upon hearing Jesus' words and upon hearing my expositing of these words, some of you will be troubled. Some of you will be sitting in your seats going, I wish I'd never come to church this morning. (laughs) I wish maybe I had just slept in or, or hit the snooze one more time. Because as I'm getting into the scriptures and as this crazy little guy is yelling to me about what these scriptures mean, I'm realizing that something in my life and in my Christianity needs to change. Because some of us in this room have idols, and we love them. And some of us in this room, we, we've, we've got these little treasures that we store up for ourselves in this life, in this earth. And we wouldn't trade them if we are honest with ourselves for anything. And yet Jesus comes here and I'm coming here saying, we got to make a decision. we got to make a decision. Where are our treasures? What's our God? It's one or it's the other. It's either all of this earth or it's heaven and him. Right? And so I'm aware of the fact that many of us kind of feel comfortable in this lukewarm, if you want to call it, Christianity, where we've got an idol in this hand and Jesus in this hand. And so for some of you guys, I realize that as I begin sharing and as we look at what Jesus has to say, you're going to be troubled. But my prayer is that as we move on through, and if you would stay in this room with me and With the Holy Spirit, I pray. By the end of it, you would find yourself moving through godly sorrow into repentance and into joy. So that you would be thinking, God, you came to church this morning. (laughs) Instead of going, I I don't want to hear about this. I don't want to have Jesus get up in my face and say, where is your treasure? Because I want to hold on to this. And still feel okay. So that's where we're going. And I realize and I hope that as, um, as you trek with me um, today, I hope we'll, we'll all realize that we're all in this together. Some of us might be struggling more than others, maybe with loving the things of this world. But the reality is, is that we're all in this together. We all have flesh that wants to plant its roots or set its roots down in this place. 
We're struggling with it. And so in one way or another, we all need this message. And my hope is that um, by the end of the uh, end of the day, we would all have a fresh passion to pick up our cross and follow our Savior. Does that sound good? I hope so. Um, so, if you guys wouldn't mind looking back down at the text there in verse 19. What we're going to do, just to give you an outline, is I realize that in this text, Jesus is driving at the same point from three different angles. Okay, and the sections there, the three different angles would be verses 19 through 21, verses 22 through 23, and verses 24. He's driving at the same main point from these three different angles. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at each of those angles quickly, then we're going to determine what that main point is, and then we're going to draw out some implications for our Christian life. That's essentially what we're going to do. So the first angle would be this there in verse 19 through 21. What you'll see is that Jesus is, is talking about laying up treasure. He's coming at it saying this, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, um, the question that I want to ask is what does he mean when he says laying up treasures in heaven or on earth? What does he mean when he's talking about this idea of treasure and laying up treasures. And um, for the purpose of, of, of being brief with you guys so we can keep moving on and have time to get through all that I hope to get through this morning, I would just say this, essentially what I think Jesus is, um, are there words on the screen? Is that what you're doing? <laughs> I see people every now and then going, oh, I'm like, I didn't prepare slides, that's kind of cool, we've got slides. Um, but... What I was saying is this, what I essentially I think Jesus means when he says, lay up, your lay up for yourselves treasures on earth or in heaven, I think he's talking about ultimately where we are setting our hope. What we are setting our hope upon. Okay, and I take my cues from 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19. It says this, as for the rich, in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus, and here's a connection, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. You hear what he's saying? He's saying, instruct people not to set their hopes on the things of this world, but rather on God, rather on this future, rather on heaven and being there with Jesus. And so if your hope is set on this earth, say you're going to try to work towards money. The treasures you're going to lay up are, get me more money in the bank account, get me more comfort and, and, and a bigger house and better cars or whatever it might be, but if your hope is set on heaven, then according to Paul, it would seem that your idea of storing up treasure there 
would look like being rich in good works, would look like giving your money away, would look like sacrificing for the sake of others in the glory of God. That's what it would look like. Two radical different destinations depending upon where we are setting our hope, where we are laying up our treasure. It's a big deal. Conclusion for this first angle would be this. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not on this earth. The second angle that Jesus is coming at is found there in verses 22 through 23. And um, what you'll see there is he's talking about this idea of looking through an eye. Okay? And this at first can seem a little bit confusing, but if you check with me, I think it makes a lot of sense, especially in light of the context. But it says this in verse 22, The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. So you might look at that and go, so what does that mean? At first, I, I used to like write this verse on my hand uh, back in the day before I'd go into the gym, trying to say, keep your eye pure and don't look at chicks or whatever. Is that appropriate to say from up here? I don't know. You know, so keep the eye, if my eye is looking at bad stuff, it's full of darkness, you know. But if I'm looking, you know, not at these girls and it's full of light, and I'm like, well, that's part of it, for sure. But there's a lot that we can unpack from this verse. And I think the scope is a lot bigger than just lust or, you know, purity of eyes in terms of sexual sin and things like that. What I, let me explain to you first what I think he means when he talks about the eye being the lamp of the body. Because I believe that might be a little bit confusing just as you read it through. But if I can explain it to you, I think it makes a lot of sense. You think of a lamp. When you walk into a room, it's dark, and you can't see anything. You stumble over a couple things. You find the little switch, whatever. You click it. On comes the lamp, and you can see where you're going, right? The eye is the lamp of the body, in essence, because... That is what takes in the light which enables you to therefore direct your body in such a way that you will not stumble over things. Make sense? Kind of? Anybody? Is anybody awake? You guys okay? Hopefully that makes sense. That's how, in my mind at least, the eye is the lamp of the body. It takes in the light and therefore allows you to see and direct your body which way you should go so that you're not stumbling and falling. But here's the spiritual point that Jesus is trying to make. Where are you looking for light? Where with your eye, with your spiritual eye, with the eye of your heart, are you looking for light? I think in the surrounding context, it's safe to say he has those two things in mind again. Are you looking to heaven, to God, to Jesus, to all those things that are there with him for your light, to direct your life? Or are you looking to this world? 
Are you flipping through magazines to find your light? Are you flipping through channels to find your light? Are you talking to your peers to find your light? Because the light that comes in, whatever that is, from heaven or from this earth, will determine how you direct your spiritual bodies, your life. And you will walk in that light. And Jesus is saying, if you are drawing that light from God, if you are drawing that light from heaven, then you will walk in a manner that is pleasing to Him. You'll find yourself, you'll find yourself caring about the things of God. You will find your body, your life being directed by things like the great commandment, love God with all your heart, or the second greatest commandment, love others, or the great commission, go unto all the earth, make disciples. You'll find yourself, if you're drawing your light from heaven, if you're looking there, you'll find yourself living after God. But if you are drawing your light from this earth, if your eyes are set on those things, you're going to live, your life is going to be directed by those things. If all you're doing is reading fashion magazines, then you know what? What you're going to care about, what's going to direct your life, is the latest trend. And how you feel like you need to look to be valued. Or, if all you do is read Wall Street Journal, then you're going to think, you're, you're drawing your light from that source, and you're going to think, i got to figure out a way, what's the next stock I can buy into and make my money? It radically affects the way your life is directed. What are you looking at? Heaven or earth? I think that's Jesus' point. Because he says, if you're looking to heaven, your whole body will be full of light. But if you're looking to the things of this earth, though you might be drawing light from this earth, in essence, your eye is bad. And he says, your whole body will be full of darkness. And then he goes on to say, how great is that. You're going to stumble. You're going to fall. And then you're going to wonder why. Where, are, where is your light source? Here's a good principle to live by. I thought this was interesting. If your eye is set upon something you can see, it's not set in the right place. 2 Corinthians 4.18 We look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, or are not going to last very long. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Therefore, if what you are looking at, ultimately, if your goal, if your aim, if where you are drawing your light, if what you have your eyes set upon is something you can actually see with the physical eye, you are not looking in the right place. You're looking at a job. You're looking at a house. Or you're looking at a wife. 
You're looking at the things of this earth, but he says that stuff is transient. That stuff is like a vapor. The things that we got to be putting our eyes on as followers of Jesus are those things which we cannot see but by and through the eyes of faith. Those things that are eternal, those things that are in heaven. Him. Right? Conclusion for this second angle. Look to God for your light, not to this earth. Third, there in verse 24, we see that Jesus comes at it from yet again another angle, this time talking about it in terms of the idea of serving a master. Serving a master. He says this, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, you cannot serve God and money. And when he says money, don't take it to mean, oh, well, I'm not serving money, I'm serving this or that. No, no. I think money represents things of this world, because money is what buys and gets you everything this world has to offer. You cannot serve God and money. So, this third angle in my mind seems to be the most severe. Seems to be the most severe. And this is honestly probably the place that I was alluding to in the beginning where American Christianity wavers the heaviest and dilutes. How can we get this verse out of the Bible? So that I could still have God and money and the things here. And so we find for ourselves teachers that tickle our ears and tell us things like, ever heard of the prosperity gospel? God loves to give you money. Some agree. It's true. He loves to provide. God richly provides us with all things to enjoy. It said back there in 1 Timothy. But this is the point where Jesus says, We've got to get into your hearts, and we've got to, we've got to check here. We've got to check. Do you love God, or do you love money? If you're coming to God just to get money, then you hate God, and you love money. If you're coming to God because you love God, and he blesses you with things, and you thank him for it, you love God, and in essence, you hate money, things of this world. So in this little verse... I believe Jesus is actually drawing a line. Just get down on his hands and knees, draw a line here and say, listen, those of you that want to be my disciple, those of you that want to follow me, those of you that want to serve me, you have to make a decision. There's a line drawn. You cannot, you cannot love God and love the things of this world. If you love the things of this world, you're going to hate God. If you love God, you're going to hate the things of this world. And by hate, I don't mean we walk around as Christians. Sometimes you feel like you've got to explain these things. By hate, I don't mean you're going to walk around going, screw you, you know, I'm talking to everybody and hating everybody, hating everything. No. It just means your allegiance lies with Christ. And if everything else is taken, no big deal. Because you have him. And you love him. Does that make sense? So Jesus gets down, draws this line, and says, what is it going to be? 
That's severe. That is severe. And there are people that will go, and I'm sure some of you, after reading this, go, come on, he's got to be exaggerating a little bit when he says, hate one or love the other, be devoted to one, despise the other. Surely he's got to be exaggerating. There's got to be just hyperbole for effect, right? Because I've known plenty of people that love the things of this world and, you know, get good jobs and go off and seem to be living for the stuff here, but then they also go to church on Sundays and they seem like they love God. So, come on, we can love both, right? And that's what we want to say. But that's not what Jesus says. That's not what he says. And let me show you why what he says is the truth. People can love God. People that love the things of this world, I should say, can appear to love God, seem to love God, while he gives them the things of this world. While their life is blessed by him, while things are still being given to them from him, oh, they seem like they love God. They love to come to church and pray because when they pray, money ends up in their bank account. And suddenly they've got a girlfriend. They love God when he's giving them stuff. But when God, in His sovereign design, will, goodness, takes away that stuff to test their heart, believe me, it is shown. They didn't love Him at all. They loved their stuff that He was giving to them. How could you, God? Sorry, that's loud. How could you? I thought we were going to get married. Surely you don't have good designs for me. I'm out of here. My best friend left that way. This is serious. We can look like we love God all the while we truly hate Him and love stuff. This is serious. And it affects everyone in this room. Are you feeling uncomfortable yet? <laughs> we'll get to the joy. This is serious. It's, you come to God for things, and then you get mad when He takes those things away. Your true heart is exposed. There is a line. And either you love Him and say, take it all away still going to rejoice like Paul in prison. There you go. That's the opposite side of the spectrum. I've already counted it all as loss for you. When I'm in prison, my joy is still here. I'm still praying. I'm still worshiping. I love God. hate things of this world. Line's drawn. Jesus doesn't hold any punches. James says something very similar in James 4, verse 4. You adulterous people. That's not a very nice way to begin. <laughs> you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? 
Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Same line, same severity. Friendship with world, enemy of God. Shake hands over here, slap the face over here. You can't have both. So, conclusion for this third angle, work for God, serve God. Not the things of this earth. Get on this side of the line. Get rid of all that. Check your hearts. So, summary of these three angles in trying to find the main point here. Remember what we've said with our conclusions. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not on this earth. Look to God for your light, not to this earth. Work for God. Yeah, not for this earth. Interesting thing to note, in each one of these, there's two. There's two kinds of treasure, treasure in heaven, treasure on the earth. Two kinds of eyes, the good eye, the healthy eye that's looking to God, the bad eye that's looking to this earth. And there's two kinds of masters. We're either serving God or we're serving money and the things of this earth. And so I think with that, the main point becomes very clear. And it's what I've been alluding to all along. I think Jesus is saying we as his people need to make a decision. Who is it that we're going to serve? What is it that our heart desires most? Is it heaven and Christ and all that comes along with him? Or is it this place? Is your Christianity about this place and making your life better here? Because Jesus is saying don't do that. Don't do that. Now, implications for our Christian life, and this is where it gets really fun for me. We spent our time working on our doctrine, and now I feel like we really get to apply it. We really get to draw out some cool stuff. The first thing that I want to make note of is this. Real, 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 real Christianity. Believe me, there is such a thing as fake Christianity. Real Christianity begins at this point, heaven or earth. Let me read you something. This is a little weird. It's just from one of my journals. Most of my journals are, are not, you know, anything that I would want to be reading up here. But this one, I was actually like, I could try to say it again, but I'd prefer just to read it. Because I don't know how, but I feel like it made sense when it came out there. <laughs> so I'll, I'm going to read this to you, and then hopefully make some sense of it. And then we'll go. But if you would listen to this with me remembering what we're trying to prove here, and that is that real Christianity begins at this point. When we think of choosing heaven, we often think of it in relation to its opposing reality, hell. We like to think of it on these terms. But when we think of it like this, we run one massive risk. For who would not choose heaven over hell? You don't have to be born again to not want to burn for all of eternity. This is why we have so many in this country and in this world that have no problem claiming to be Christian. They don't want hell, so they'll settle for heaven. All along, this is hardly ever the juxtaposition that the scriptures make. Far more is it that heaven is seen to be juxtaposed with this earth than with hell. And now we get into what is true Christianity. It is not, will you choose heaven over hell? 
but will you choose heaven over this earth? Here is where everything in our flesh rebels. Do you feel it? Here is where we must be born again if we are to make the proper choice. It is at this point where Christianity either begins or ends. We'll pick up this journal thing a little bit later because I got another thing I want to read from. It's at this point where it either begins or ends. When Jesus comes on the scene in your life and says, what's it going to be? Heaven, not or hell, but heaven or earth and all that you had hoped for. All that you thought you wanted and all your treasures that you want to build up for yourselves here. What's it going to be? Me or your life here in this place? It's crazy to think about, but it's biblical, and I'll take you to one text. There are many. Luke 14, 25 through 33. I don't think there's a text in the Bible that conveys this truth with any more starkness than this here in Luke 14. Um, Jesus is speaking to a crowd that's following him, been following him, because he's doing good stuff. He's giving them good things. Probably, he says he's been doing miracles and fed the 5,000. They all love this guy because he's healing them and all sorts of things. And so the crowds are following him, plenty of them probably for reasons. Not because they love him, but because they love this earth. And so listen to what he says. If we want to be a disciple, if we want to truly follow him, listen to what he says. Verse 25, now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate, here's that word again, his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower, he gives a little parable here, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Jesus is saying, count the cost. I want you to understand up front, this is going to cost your life to follow me. He gives another parable. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Again, he's saying, I want you to know right now what you're getting into if you want to follow me. It means you've got to leave everything behind. And he makes it clear as he comes out of those two parables when he says this in verse 33. So therefore... Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. That sounds like the nice little Jesus. Come, I'll heal you. I'll give you bread. I love you. Right? Think about it. Think about it in light of what we've been looking at. Great crowds following him. He's doing all these miracles for their bodies. Giving them food to eat healing, leprosy, lameness, 
He knows plenty of these people love the things of this world and hate me. And so he says, if you want to be my disciple, it's time to weed some of you guys out. Are you in this because of me? Or are you in this for yourselves? Hate. Everything. Everything he lists there is good. And we're even commanded to love them. But our allegiance must lie with him. And so he says, ultimately, if your mother, father, children, if anybody turns against you and says, unless you recant your faith in Jesus, I'm going to kill you, son. You say, kill me then. My allegiance is to Christ. In essence, hate you. Love him. Even our own lives, he says. And he gives us that gruesome picture of picking up our cross and following him. And then he culminates it in renouncing everything that we have. And if we don't do those things, we cannot be his disciple. Therefore, getting back to our main point, real Christianity begins here. Real Christianity. Plenty can fake it while he's blessing them with things. Real Christianity begins when we say, heaven over earth, take it all, if that's what you desire, Father. Now, I want to ask, have you begun? Really, has your Christianity begun? Have you heard Jesus say that to you? Have you looked and seen, you are more treasurable to me than everything here? Something to think about, and we'll get into more of that later. Second thing I want to make note of is this. Real Christianity continues at this point. It begins at this point of heaven over earth. And it continues at this point of heaven over earth. Because you want to know what happens? We love Jesus. We come. We follow him. We make you know, that incredible decision by grace. Absolutely. His eyes He opens our eyes, we see, we come. You are better than anything. But the reality is, Christianity doesn't just begin there. That is how our Christian life continues to be fueled with power. And so in this room, I'm assuming most of us are followers of Jesus. We love him. We've had those moments where we've said, you are better than everything in this life. I love you. But, like I said, there are opposing realities within Nick Weber called the natural man, the earthly man, the flesh, and the spiritual man, the heavenly man. This guy wants to be making his home up in heaven with God. This guy trying to set his roots down here. So there's going to be, in this room right now, stuff going on that your earthly roots are just wrapping around. And because of that, there's no power in your Christian life trying to make your home here. Get back to um, that journal entry I was reading to you. It says this, if we waver on this point, um, that, that point being heaven over earth, we can be sure that either A, we are not Christian, or B, we have no power in our Christian life. The Christian life is fueled by faith in the gospel, which secures our hope in heaven. If we want this life more than heaven, We cannot live the Christian life. This would explain the blatant weakness of so many of us. 
We read the Bible and wonder how these men saw such things, lived with such power, etc. It is no secret. Read Hebrews 11 and you shall see it clearly. You guys can turn to Hebrews 11, 13 through 16 or just listen. It says this about those men of faith. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Point there being, if you want to know why you read Hebrews 11 and go, why doesn't my life resemble that? How come I'm not shutting the mouth of lions or conquering kingdoms or giving my body over to be crucified or you know, beheaded or what? How come I don't seem to have any of this power? In my Christian life, it's because we don't have verses 13 through 16. We're too busy trying to make a home here, worrying about what's my family going to be like? How am I going to, you know, get food on the table? And where's, what about my vacation? And what about the health of my body? Make sure I exercise and take creatine, whatever. And then we wonder why our Christian lives are so weak. Because the real power comes from saying every day of our lives, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I want to be with you. This day, it's heaven over earth. And tomorrow, it's heaven over earth. For me, I am a stranger in an exile on this planet. And my home is there with you. And therefore, the author of Hebrews would say, God is not ashamed to be called our God. He's like, those are the kind of people I show up for. Those are the kind of people that I go, yes! Man, they get it. Not just name only. This is the real stuff. And it's hard to live it. It is. Allow me to show you, allow me to show you how this war goes on in your day-to-day life. To show you, this is where weakness comes in, this is where power comes in. Depending on where we stand on this issue, you can trace every sin in your life back to this main point, heaven over earth. If we're sinning, it's because we're choosing earth over heaven. If there's power in our Christian life in that moment, it's because we're choosing heaven over earth. And we see it. I'll just give you... I don't have enough time to give you that example. I'll just, for example, falling of the stock market, okay? Economy's not doing good, right? So what happens? If your treasure is on this earth, if you're looking to the things of this earth, you want to know what will come out in your life? This is, the, this is the father who slams the door on his study, goes in all furious because he just looked at the quotes, Yelling at his wife because whatever it was, he just lost it. Yelling at his kids. 
How come you have to cost so much? We can't be doing all these things for you anymore. Anger comes out because treasure, not in heaven, but on earth. If your treasure is in heaven, peace. You keep reading down in the Sermon on the Mount, which I'm assuming Brian will teach next week. Listen, God will provide for our needs. Pursue first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to us, family. We're going to be okay. Peace. See the difference? Failure, power, weakness, power. Or, those of you who have roommates, dirty dishes in the sink. <laughs> roommates, ah, what the heck? I always had to do these dishes. Or, my personal favorite, glob of toothpaste in the sink, right? You know, in the bathroom sink. Just, that is the last thing I want to clean up right now. Treasure on earth? Want to know what you do? It's this significant. It gets into every little moment of your life. Treasure on earth? Bitterness. How come I got to put up with this? Because they're affecting your treasure. Your treasure's here. Bitterness, resentment. I always clean up after you. Treasure in heaven? Love. Christ died for me. I'm going to be with him. Do you have any idea what heaven's going to be like? Clean up. <laughs> Kidding? Where's your treasure? It affects every area of your life. And then we wonder, how come I don't have power in my Christian life? Maybe that's why. Okay, now I want to ask this question. Third note I want to make. Where are we storing our possessions? Where are we storing our possessions? Remember that parable Jesus gives about the guy who's like storing up all of his possessions in these barns and then he, in these barns, he's like, dude, I've got so much good stuff going on here on this earth. I need a bigger barn. Let's build bigger barns. Let's put more stuff in there. And then it says after he's built this barn and looks at it, and he sits back to himself and goes, man, I've got all that I need. I can just eat, drink, and be merry and say, soul, it's time to rest. And then God comes in the picture and says, you fool. Don't you realize that tonight your very life is going to be claimed? And now you're poor when it comes to the things of heaven. And you will be poor for all of eternity. Who's going to get the stuff you stored on this earth? Are you storing your things in barns? Are you storing your things in barns? Here? Are you trying to lay up for yourself a nice little life? All we have to do is read the news to realize life is going to be over for every one of us. It's over before some people even know it. People being blown up. Other people being murdered. I'm just looking at the news. I don't know what Hurricane Bill's going to do, but you never know. There's evidence everywhere that stuff's going on. And we're not going to be here forever. Where are you storing your possessions? In a barn? Or like these African missionaries that I read about in the 1800s, going off, I, th I think it was to places like Africa, places like that, boarding ships, storing their possessions in coffins, their coffins. They said, I, I know what happens. We go over there, we get diseases. We don't last longer than a couple, two, three, four, five years. 
So let this earth go. I'm storing my stuff in my coffin because I'm on mission. And I'm going to take the gospel to people that don't know. And when I arrive on those distant shores and stand before God, I'm talking about the eternal shores now, and stand before God, I will have treasure that you people back here in America know nothing about. Storing it all up in barns. Let's put our stuff in our coffins and follow. Fourth thing, and this is where we'll close. Christ, throughout all of this, has our best in mind. Christ, throughout all of this, while he's speaking all radical and gnarly and you guys are getting uncomfortable and freaked out, oh, I gotta leave everything. He has our best in mind. I want you to make note of this. He doesn't want for our treasure to be eaten by moths, corrupted by rust, or stolen by thieves. Do you, do you catch this logic there in that first thing that we looked at with treasures in heaven? Store up your treasures in heaven, not on earth, because on earth, moth, rust, thieves, they can get at it. And what happens? Your joy, it goes with it. If your joy, if your treasure is your little child, then if one day God sees fit that that little kid gets cancer, your joy is gone. Moths got to it. Rust got to it. He's looking out for your good. He says, if your joy, if your treasure is found in heaven, then no one can take it from you because I guard it, like Paul says, I think, in Timothy. So since we entrust to him, it will be there. He's not going to let us down. Therefore, let the world go, and I still am standing. That's what Jesus is after in your life. Not to keep you from fun, but to give you real life, real joy. And the second angle we looked at with that eye and darkness and things, and light, you realize that he doesn't want us stumbling and falling in the darkness. His whole point there is put your light on that which will truly give you light because I don't want you stumbling and falling. I don't want you like that dude with all of his stuff in barns to, on the day that I come to go, oh no, I have nothing. I don't want you to be like that. I don't want you to be in darkness. Darkness is scary. I don't like darkness either. He wants us in light. It's for our good that he's saying this stuff. Or, from the third angle we looked at, he doesn't want us serving money because in 1 Timothy 6.10, it says that those that go after money pierce themselves with many pangs. They're trying to chase it. Maybe some of you have felt it. It's like the wind. It's there and then it's gone. And you rest on it. You put your weight on it. And it just falls out from under you. And there's just pain because of that pursuit. And Jesus says, don't serve that. It's going to let you down. Serve me. I won't. He's after your joy. Or do you remember that part where he's talking about picking up your cross and following him? That sounds gnarly, right? Well, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says it again, except this time he takes us on to the other side. Why is he asking us to do this? Matthew 16, 24 through 25. Then Jesus told his disciples, this is right before he goes to pick up his cross, if anyone would come after me, 
Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So there it is. You're like, oh, that's gnarly. Why does he ask that? Why does he want them to do that? For whoever would save his life will lose it. Meaning if you want to store it all up in barns, it's going to be gone. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He wants you to pick up your cross so that you can have life. It's all for our good. And so I hope and pray that the Lord would do that in us this morning. That maybe as I was beginning you felt uncomfortable. We have moved through and see this is good stuff. So if the band could come on up. Be stoked. We'll move on into worship. I hope that you guys have moved on through this with me into realizing that Christ is after our blessing. And so if, if your treasure is on this earth, if you've been looking to the things of this earth, if you've been serving the things of this earth, it's time. The line is drawn. Repent and move on through into life. Um, at this point... We're going to worship and respond to the Lord. This is usually when you guys also worship by giving tithes and offerings. So we'll have the ushers come out as well. Um, But if you guys wouldn't mind, pray for us and uh, we'll sing to the Lord. Father, we give thanks to you because we know that you, you love us. And that when you come and say these things to us, it's not to withhold pleasure from us, it's to give us ultimate pleasure. And so Jesus, I pray for everyone in this room. Real Christianity would begin, real Christianity would continue, that we would be awakened by you, empowered by you, and find ourselves living differently because of, um, because of how great you are. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray.